tingling greetings to every single one of you. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers podcast part of your day. Those amazing tunes that just went through the old listening vessels is of course courtesy of the lovely Bobby Mackey and as always I am your host Tessa Morrow. Oh yeah that hits the spot. The man he walks in through the door He tosses his keys on the table and heads into the kitchen. He sighs as he wipes the sweat off from his forehead as he opens the refrigerator. He pulls out a beer. He opens it and he takes a long sip. That was damned refreshing. He needed that. After a long day of work, he had been waiting for this moment. Total relaxation with a refreshing beer. Right now, I have a Coors can in my hand. I'm looking at it. I just took a nice big sip just moments ago. And I am right there with the guy who just finished a long day of work. Ha, that is just what I needed. Now I could get on and finish this episode for you guys. Now, when you look at a can of Coors, one may think Colorado, those beautiful Rocky Mountains, the taste of beer, Crisp, cool, refreshing barbecues, hanging out with your friends. But there is so much more happening with Coors. As one young man, the heir to the Coors empire, was kidnapped and brutally murdered. Just like in my Guinness episode, you look at the bottle of Guinness and you don't think of all the heartache that went on with that family. There's more than meets the eye, my friends, and we are about to go down a dark path where they serve more than just Coors beer. And this wouldn't be the first time that somebody in the beer business would get kidnapped. Heineken got kidnapped as well, but he lived to see another day. But that's for another episode. Coors was founded in 1873, grossing an impressive $20.5 billion. And it was founded right here in Colorado in a small town known as Golden. Now, while I tend to avoid Denver, like the bubonic plague, no offense to my Denver listeners, it's just that, you know, I used to live there several years ago and I had some pretty bad things occur to me. So I kind of tend to stay away. But I still have people who I care about who live there. And of course, you Denverites are phenomenal. I have a sweet cousin who is near and dear to me, who lives in Golden. And it is such a gorgeous area. And sometime I plan to go, and me and her can possibly go to Coors, take a tour, and check it all out. That would be freaking awesome. I love neat and interesting facts. And here's one for you. The first Coors brewing location located in Golden, Colorado, as mentioned just a second ago, is the largest single brewing facility operating in the entire world. That is damned impressive. I would think in anyone's book. Adolf Coors and his business partner, Jacob Schweller, 
they buy a Pilsner beer recipe from a gentleman named William Silhan, November 14th of 1873. Adolf and Jacob, they buy the very much abandoned Old City Tannery, and soon it becomes the Golden Brewery. Fast forward just a few short months later, and they are selling their fresh brewed beer, and people are loving it. Now, eventually, in 1880, Coors buys out his partner, therefore becoming the sole owner and operator to the brewery. Once Coors buys out Jacob, he changes the name from Golden Brewery to Adolf Coors Golden Brewery. For the most part, things are going pretty good. They do run into a few bumps in the road, like the Prohibition. I think everybody struggled through that. Glad I wasn't around for those sad days. Now, Coors, they turned the brewery into a place to make malted milk. And after the end of the Prohibition, believe it or not, Coors Brewery is one of the only small handful of breweries that actually survived the Prohibition. So that's pretty phenomenal. Now, unfortunately, while Coors Brewery itself would see another day past the Prohibition, Adolf Coors would sadly not. Now, it's unsure if it was a suicide or just a horrible accident or if he was pushed, but on June 5th, 1929, Coors founder leaps, fell, or is possibly pushed from a sixth floor window of the Cavalier Hotel over in Virginia Beach, Virginia. The founder of Coors, dead at 82 years old. He was born in the Kingdom of Prussia. He died in Virginia, and he is buried right here in Wheat Ridge, Colorado. I will definitely have to make a trip out there and go visit his burial spot for sure. Over 30 years after Coors' death, Tragedy strikes in the Coors family once more. One mid-February morning in 1960, Adolf Coors III, grandson of the Coors founder, leaves to go to work one day, and he is never seen alive again. As he approaches Turkey Creek Bridge, he notices a car kind of blocking off the entrance. He encounters a man who, unbeknownst to him, had sometime earlier murdered somebody, and he was about to murder Coors as well. If there was ever a stranger danger, this man right here is it. Stranger danger. I mean, seriously. It is people like that that is the reason why as soon as I get into my car, I lock the doors immediately. I don't care if I'm in the middle of the mountains or in the big city, those doors are getting locked ASAP. Coors' car is discovered, and it has several bloodstains in it and around it. The individual who finds the unattended vehicle is the milkman. The music is on. The engine, well, it's running. But it seems to have been completely abandoned. Now, today, I could jump into the car, jump onto I-25, and in a 20-minute span on the highway, on the interstate, I can see several disregarded cars abandoned, just sitting there with that ominous orange tag, basically yelling, Help me! I've been abandoned by my owner! Hell, even today, just driving five minutes up to the north side of Pueblo, I saw two abandoned vehicles. Today, it's kind of like a common occurrence, a common thing, no big deal. But I have to believe that back then, maybe not so much. My mind, my true crime mind, if you will, always comes to why did that person leave this vehicle behind? It looks like a perfect working vehicle. 
Some of them look brand spanking new. Were they involved in a crime? Maybe it's a missing person. Maybe they're on the run. My mind, sadly, well, it runs wild. Anyways, the milkman, he stays for a little while to see if somebody shows up. He honks his horn several times. Seeing if the owner will emerge from somewhere. But sadly, nobody ever does. His honks, well, they go unanswered. Every fiber of this man's being tells him. Something is wrong. Obviously, here's this car just sitting here without an owner and there's blood. Hello? The milkman, he rushes to town and right to the police station where he reports his finding. And upon investigation, they realize this is Adolf Coor III's car and most likely his blood. The day of Coor's disappearance, shortly known after to be a kidnapping, there was an important conference meeting that he was supposed to attend. It's believed that he was en route to that meeting when this happened. Now, he was a punctual fellow who was well-liked, he was well-respected, he took his job very seriously. Him not showing up was extremely out of character for Adolf Coors III. The following day, Adolf's wife, Mrs. Mary Coors, receives a haunting letter. The contents in this envelope chilled her to the bone, no doubt, and made her fear for her husband's life. It was postmarked February 9th at 3 p.m. Denver, Colorado. It was stamped special delivery, and it reads this. Mrs. Coors, your husband has been kidnapped. His car is by Turkey Creek. Call the police or FBI and he dies. Cooperate, he lives. Ransom 200,000 in tens and 300,000 in twenties. There will be no negotiating. Bills used, non-consecutive, unrecorded, unmarked. Warning, we will know if you call the police or record the serial numbers. Directions, place money and this letter and envelope in one suitcase or bag. Have two men with a car ready to make the delivery. When all set, advertise a tractor for sale in Denver Post Section 69. Sign ad King Ranch Fort Lupton. Wait at NA944554. Instructions after ad appears. Deliver immediately after receiving call. Any delay will be regarded as a stall to set up a stakeout. Understand this. Adolf's life is in your hands. We have no desire to commit murder. All we want is that money. If you follow the instructions, he will be released unharmed within 48 hours after the money has been received. Now, I can only imagine what went through this poor woman's mind. When she held that letter in most likely shaky hands as she read it, Every word, a slap in the face, every sentence, like a knife in her back. What kind of a monster can do such a thing? This is her husband. This is the father of her four children. This is every spouse's worst nightmare. The following day on February 10th, the news about the kidnapping had spread like wildfire and demanded attention the front page of the newspapers. 
Now, this is what Rocky Mountain News had to share. The title screaming, Adolf Coors, the third, feared kidnapped, bloodstains found near abandoned auto. And it reads this, quote, Adolf Coors III, millionaire, head of the Adolf Coors Company, disappeared mysteriously Tuesday while en route to work. Jefferson County Sheriff Art Wearmouth said he feared Coors was kidnapped. Coors' car, its motor still running, was found abandoned on a tiny wooden bridge across Turkey Creek, just two miles north of the missing man's home near Morrison. Blood stains were found on the side of the road near the car and splattered on the bridge railing. A baseball-type cap and glasses, which Coors was wearing when he left home, were found on the bank of the shallow creek. Scores of searchers, headed by Undersheriff Lou Hawley, and State Patrol Chief Gilbert Carroll swarmed into the mountain, Fastness, where the car was found and scoured the area for the 44-year-old Coors for clues. The last group of searchers, the Jefferson County Jeep Patrol, was called in at 10 p.m. Tuesday, but the search will be resumed at 6 a.m. Sheriff Art Wormuth says the mounted posse had left the area earlier. Wormuth said planes from the Civil Air Patrol will aid searchers Wednesday. He is also seeking a helicopter for use in this search. The FBI was notified of the disappearance by Undersheriff Hawley about 4 p.m., unquote. That very same day, the Denver Post reports this in their February 10, 1960 edition, titled, Adolf Coors III Disappears, FBI Enters Search, Officials Fear Kidnap Attack. And it reads this, Adolf Coors III, 44, head of the multi-million dollar Adolf Coors Company of Golden, disappeared Tuesday morning under circumstances police said indicated he may have been kidnapped or waylaid by robbers. The FBI officially entered the case at 8 a.m. Wednesday after Coors had been missing 24 hours. Permission to join the search for Coors was obtained from Washington. Scott Werner, special agent, in charge of the Denver Bureau. The FBI is acting on the perception Coors was the victim of foul play, Werner said. Two mysterious reports were being investigated. One was that a caretaker and maid at the Coors ranch near Morrison saw a green car in the area several days ago. Sheriff Arthur Wormuth of Jefferson County said there was a possibility that Coors had been under surveillance by someone planning to kidnap or rob him. The other new development was a report from Dean Culpepper, a shoeshine boy at the Continental Railway's bus station in downtown Denver. He reportedly served a man early Tuesday who said he had found Adolf Coors billfold and was on his way to the ranch to return it, unquote. Adolf's father, Adolf Coors Jr., he calls J. Edgar Hoover and recruits him to help in locating his missing son. Hoover sends several agents to help. Now, this was huge news indeed. In fact, the search for the missing Coors heir would be the largest in FBI history since the Lindbergh kidnapping. And just like the Lindbergh case, the Coors case, well, it ends in heartbreak and tragedy. A little over a week after the kidnapping, a car had been found in Atlantic City, New Jersey. It was badly damaged by fire. Now, while it may have destroyed much of the evidence, authorities were able to get the serial number, and with that serial number, they were able to trace it to a Mr. Joseph Corbett Jr. Corbett was now going by the alias Walter Osborne. 
The authorities were able to match dirt found in the car to the same dirt in the area where Coors was kidnapped. Things are certainly not looking good for the missing heir. The day is now Sunday, September 11th of 1960. A man named Edward Green is out enjoying a beautiful day of hiking in the ever-so-gorgeous Rocky Mountains when he comes upon a pair of pants. In the pocket is a pocket knife with the initials A.C. the third, And it is very obvious who the owner is of these items. The missing heir to Coors, Adolf Coors III. Just four short days later, after the first discovery, that being September 15th, a shirt and skull and other body parts are found in a desolate area very close to Pike's Peak. The skull is identified to be Adolf Coors III. He is no longer missing. He has been found. Within seconds, the missing person's case has now become a homicide investigation. Eight months after the kidnapping, they do track down Joseph Corbett Jr. in British Columbia. He surrenders immediately, telling them that they found the right man and that he's done with hiding and just take him already. He puts up no fight whatsoever. Corbett certainly was a wolf in sheep's clothing. While his birth name was Joseph Corbett Jr., he had many aliases, including James Barron, Walter Osborne, William Osborne, and several others. His FBI wanted poster warns, quote, Corbett should be considered armed and extremely dangerous. He reportedly is a gun enthusiast and experienced in use of firearms, unquote. So this is disappointing, in my opinion. Get this. Because Coors was kidnapped, murdered, and dumped in Colorado, this monster was not tried for federal kidnapping charges. And at the time of his murder, Adolf Coors, husband to Mary and father to four sweet children, he was a young man. He was a successful one. He had achieved a lot. He was the heir and chairman of Coors. He still had so much to do in this life. Joseph Corbett Jr., he was a smart man with what many who knew him considered to have a bright future. He was a Fulbright scholar at the University of Oregon. His plan was to attend medical school, but things changed for the worse. Blue skies suddenly turned ominous, stormy, dark, and dare I say uncertain. When in 1950, just days before Christmas, he is involved in a fight with an Air Force sergeant named Alan Lee Reed. During the scuffle, he shoots the sergeant dead. He pleads guilty and he serves time at San Quentin, where, after several years, he is transferred to California Institution for Men, where he escapes. The murderer is now a free man and ditches his name, tossing that in the trash, and he becomes Walter Osborne. Joseph, Walter, whoever the hell he is, convicted murderer of the Coors Air in 1961, and convicted murderer of Sergeant Reed in 1950. Sadly, he does not die in prison, as he was released, believe it or not, in 1978. 
and he commits suicide in Denver, Colorado in 2009. Now, until his dying day, Corbett Jr. claimed that he was an innocent man, that he did not kill Coors. Well, okay, first of all, <clears throat> bullshit. There was evidence linking him to the crime. When they found him, he said, yeah, uh-huh, that's me. You got the right dude. Hand up in the air wildly, yep, mm-hmm. And even if he didn't murder Coors, which he did, he was still responsible for the murder of an Air Force sergeant. I mean, the guy was no frickin' saint. He definitely, in my opinion, should have died behind prison walls, never seeing the light again. What's sad to me, I mean, the whole thing obviously is extremely sad, don't get me wrong, but first of all, he already murdered one person, Air Force Sergeant Reed. Then he escapes prison, another big no-no, right? Then he murders the Coors heir, who was a very young man, a father, a husband, a family man, a hard worker, a respected citizen, taken by a low-life scumbag who all he wanted to do was become rich, and he killed to do so. What's sad to me is that he was a free man for 31 years before he took his own life. Thank God he offed himself. Who knows how much longer he would have had? 31 years too much, in my opinion. A free man when his victims are six feet underground. Coors' wife, widowed. His children, hmm, fatherless. His father, Adolf Coors II, now without a son. Corbett serves 16 years for the brutal kidnapping and murder of Adolf Coors III. What a joke. People on drug offenses have served longer. As I look at the Coors can sitting right next to me, I cannot help but think of the man who's gone too soon, taken away from his family abruptly. So next time you take a sip of your Coors, toast it to Adolf Coors III. This week's special city shoutouts go to Jersey City, New Jersey, Neslau, Switzerland, the city sublime saying about Garden Grove, California, Kruba, Australia, and Tyson's, Virginia. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Listen to the others. They're all phenomenal. Haven't heard every single one yet? No worries whatsoever. Just head on over to any of those spooky podcast platforms, such as Apple Podcasts, Downcast, CastBox, Spotify, Basically, wherever you may roam to hear your other spooky podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers podcasts lurking in the background. Would you like to be a voiceover for a future episode? Maybe you have your own spooky tale to share. Feel free to find me on the Paranormal Prowlers podcast Facebook page and reach out to me via Messenger or throw a post on up. I would love to hear from you. Thanks, everybody, and I will see you next week.